from calling out corrupt politics, citing the United States Constitution, books born in American history. You're the relentless patriots. Now, without further ado, here is the most relentless patriot of them all, relentless patriot Frank. Good evening, everyone. Out in social media land, relentless patriot Frank here with another relentless rant as to what has been going on in this world. And we have a lot to talk about over the past 24 to 48 hours. I've seen a lot of things that have devastated our country so far. And um, I'd like to talk a little bit more about it tonight. Uh, for those of you just tuning in, again, I'm Relentless Patriot Frank from the Relentless Patriot Nation. I'm a relentless patriot for a couple reasons. Let me explain myself. One, I was taught to be grateful for this country and the opportunities that it's, you know, that it's been given to me long before any of this social justice crap came out, long before the Democratic left has started to take over our country from every single aspect. It's important that while you're part of this show, while you're part of this group, that you understand what it means to be relentlessly patriotic, the importance, the value okay, of what America means to you and get rid of all the political, you know, political correct doctrine that has hindered your sight, that has hindered your voice, your reason, and has caused you to feel like you're an oppressed victim. So with that being said, let's dive right into a couple things that I'd like to point out of the hypocrisy of the left. So if you're just tuning in again, a waving to all of you, Tommy, good to see you, my friend. Good, good. Got a couple other people on. Um, first, let's call out the National Teachers Union, which wants police out of our schools. When meanwhile, you have no, no proposition, no solution to the school shootings that have gone on for the past, I don't know, 50 to 60 years, all due to Democrat policy. Where are your policies exactly? You want the police out of the schools, but yet, since police have been in there, there have been fewer and fewer school shootings. So what it sounds like to me is that the National Teachers Union across this country do not like police. They are okay with defunding the police. Okay, well, how about this? How about we first defund the teachers union? That way teachers can wake up from all the ridiculous indoctrination education that they have been enforcing on all our children lately. How about we do that first before we decide to defund the police? I believe you guys can tell me that, right? Okay, I'm just going to read a little bit about what these, you know, uh, social justice teacher warriors want. Okay, so first, the American, again, I'm going to repeat myself. The American Federation of Teachers Union is calling for all schools to stop using police as school security personnel. This is how disgusting it is. Okay, instead, the union wants peace officers employed by districts or schools that would focus on nonviolent resolution of conflicts with a minimal use of force. So what do you mean by that? Let's, let me get this straight. If a diehard, if a diehard nut job goes into your child's school and then just starts blowing the place out, you're okay with having these peace officers there instead to fix that situation? What do you propose exactly, Teachers Union? What kind of stupid, sick, disgusting, vile answer is that to the rest of the public and the rest of America. The important part, guys, and, and again, I'm going to say this. I spoke about this in another video in terms of the indoctrination of the radical left and what it's done to our country. The indoctrination of our schools, how it's infiltrated every single part of America, including life, our children, right, our family home, our social media, our TV, everything. It's infiltrated everything. And I, for one, am disgusted. And I'm sure a lot of you relentless patriots out there are disgusted as well. What kind of crap is that, Teachers Union, where you want to get rid of all the police officers at the schools to make people feel safer? What kind of crud is that? Police officers are employed by the state, by people that vote them in, that want them in, and people that actually want to serve our country to protect others. You know, it's not like police officers wake up and say, geez, I wonder who I'm going to kill today. Maybe it's a black person. I don't know. Whoopee. Maybe I'll get brownie points. That's a bunch of crap. Okay. And, and you know what the, the funny part is? 
uh, the ATF sent out a resolution, a June 18th email, and it states this. I'm going to read this to you guys. This is how sick these people are. Resolved in big capital letters that the necessary function of school safety should be separated from policing and police forces. School security personnel should be trained as peace officers and integrated within the school community with a focus on nonviolent resolution of conflicts with a minimal use of force. The AFT will reconvene in a union-wide conversation, a union-wide conversation, including educators, students, and parents. Well, let's see. Half the nation, ladies and gentlemen, half the nation already thinks psychotically. So you can imagine at least 50 to 60% of our schools are going to have these peace officers guarding our children. You're telling me that the peace officers are going to transform school security to help achieve a safe and welcoming environment? What kind of sick crap is this? For students and the staff and not a militaristic police state? A militaristic police state at a school? That's never happened before. When have you seen a tank at a school, guys? Seriously, where does the left get their education from? And then they go on to say in this quotation that it has criminalized black and brown students. Now, I don't know about you, but you automatically, automatically segregate people by saying it's only because of police officers that are white that we are doing this by saying black and brown students only. How does that make sense to anybody? Can anyone tell me that? Because ultimately I'm very disgusted over what I just saw. Police officers don't go to schools, whether it be middle school, high school, even preschool in the inner cities looking to kill black students and brown students. That is the most vile assumption that I have ever heard of in my entire life. And I'm pretty sure a lot of you feel the same way. You know, so like, it's a joke. It's a joke. So school shootings is okay. You know, oh, don't worry about the police. Or they're, they're the militarization of the police is going gonna, is gonna, to, you know, shoot all the black and brown people. And they're all racist. Okay, so you guys, you know what? When a psycho with a, with a you know, an illegal firearm goes into your school, don't call the police. Don't call the police. Because if you do, this is what's going to happen to you. That's what's going to happen to you because you don't want the police guarding your schools and you don't want security. You want your own version of it. The peace officers, if you will. Now, if you, if you ask me, I'm wearing, a, you know, I got a white flag today. That's the only notion of peace that I, that I could ever see of in a combat situation where the enemy waves the white flag as a symbol of peace. Not shocking, folks. Not shocking. And I'm pretty sure you guys can all understand where I'm coming from in terms of common sensuality, right? Duh. You know, so that's one thing I wanted to say. The second thing I wanted to say is that um, I had uh, come across this uh, article where um, it's from the Black Lawyers for Justice, quote unquote. Okay? The Black Lawyers for Justice. And in the Black Lawyers for Justice uh website. They talk about Howard County Police Department and, and how they want to be subject to formal and civil rights investigations. So let me get this straight. You're going to investigate a police department off of what cause? Off of what cause? And um, the report goes to say this. Attorneys will be joined by, you know, by community activists to announce a formal investigation into the Howard County Police Department's use of force against African-Americans, recent incidents of white supremacist activity. So let me get this straight. If there, if there, if there is a arrest going on where someone's resisting arrest and they get hurt or the, or the cop ends up firing his, you know, his or her weapon, that's automatically labeled as white supremacist activity. Not too shocking here, guys. Not too shocking here. You know, uh, the article get, or the statement begins to also say that overt racism, longstanding complaints of racial profiling and unfair policing against African-Americans and other allegations of civil rights violations have prompted the black lawyers for justice investigation through litigation review and Freedom of Information Act and other legal measures. Black lawyers for justice will be reviewing citizen complaints 
community complaints, personnel records, lawsuits, dis disciplinary records, and other evidence to determine if the discrimination that has been alleged is in fact correct. So I really hope they do that because what it sounds like to me is anyone can call 911 and say, help, I'm being attacked by a police officer, and it's automatically labeled as racist, as white supremacist activity, as help, a police officer is trying to arrest me because that person, that police officer is white and he's racist. So automatically it leads to the assumption, the illusion that all white police officers are in fact racist. I highly, highly disagree. I highly disagree for a couple reasons. One, the police are there to protect you. If you are doing crime, if you're doing something bad, the police will arrest you, plain and simple. They're going to say, hey, wait a minute, something's wrong here. Let's talk about the situation and see what happens. But if you antagonize us, if you say F whitey and F this and F that and screw you pig to a police officer's face, do not be shocked if you get taken down to the ground and arrested. It's as simple as that, guys. Why do we need a black lawyers for justice investigation? Where's the white lawyers for justice investigation? Where's all the hate crime investigations against the opposite where, where you know, a, um, a Latino kills a white man or a black person like what, what we saw with that teenager gets smacked in the face from behind or punched in the face from behind a 12-year-old nonetheless by a, a black adult. And somehow that's not investigated into as a hate crime. But yet, but yet we have a black lawyers for justice group seeking seeking information about bad police bad police but in my terms based upon what i saw in this article it looks like there's going to be a 120 day investigation with periodic updates and the status of findings or obstacles and in seeking information about white supremacist activity so it's already you can you guys already can see where i'm going with this it's already going to disillusion the police to do anything to do their jobs by having investigations going on in most police departments around the county, California, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, this eventually, this crazy movement is going to grow into a social justice brigade. And I, for one, am scared senseless about having the police do their jobs and not be harassed all the time. Like, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think it's fair that anyone, anyone should be labeled as a white supremacist simply for doing their job. You know, if you guys saw, I shared another video the other day of, of Black Lives Matter infiltrating a restaurant, a restaurant, okay? And in this restaurant, again, you had at least 20 to 30 white liberal teenagers being led by a black supremacist, in my opinion, because he was the one cursing, yelling, shouting, and you had children dining outside the restaurant. And yet the police are afraid to do their job and arrest these people. They're standing outside with their batons ready just in case something happens. But yet they're, they're allowing people to curse, people to instill violence and say stupid things. And that's okay. Because Black Lives Matter has made the police scared to do their job. I had come up with a stat um, a couple weeks ago saying that the police, at least 800%, and that's probably doubled since then, but 800% of the police force of the anti-crime unit, 800% out of God knows how many police officers, right, have walked off the job because of stupid stuff like this. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that's ridiculous. That is really, really ridiculous. And I hope you guys understand that, that because of these movements, the police officers don't want to do their jobs. And because of the Black Lawyers for Justice Guild, and for the National Teachers Union, which mostly happen to be a bunch of leftists, and for social media, and for all these Marxist unions, and for all the indoctrination of our youth at our colleges, you can see why, as a relentless patriot, we need to be relentless, and we need to fire back. It's time to start marching against these communist movements, and pretty soon we're going to have that, guys. And I hope all of you would join me September 5th in a march against communism. You pick a college to march in front, 
in front of or you pick a group or you know they're meeting and you let them know how patriotic you are, right? We need to put a stop to this once and for all. And I appreciate all of you that are watching me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube right now. It's my first time actually doing all three at once. Usually I go live on Facebook, right? So I appreciate everyone tuning in and checking out who we are as Relentless Patriots and why we need to be relentlessly patriotic. Okay, so those are two things that have been that are just very, very surprising and shocking. The third thing I want to talk about in terms of racial tension in this country, okay, if you want to call it that, is another article that came out by a, a liberal, probably a, uh, his name is Commander Marcus A. Kennedy from the U.S. Coast Guard, okay? And he's obviously a writer, and obviously he feels a certain way about white people, especially while he's been in the military. And automatically... He goes on to save this, uh, to say this, right? Even as racial tensions flare across the United States, I can be present at quarters, lead a pre-flight brief, pass critical information to the unit, or even hand out awards as the commanding officer. Yet, there is a part of me that is invisible at work. So automatically, you have this chip on your shoulder, my friend. Automatically, because look, if America really was racist, you would not be a commander in the military, in the Coast Guard, right? Right. So automatically, you have a mask, according to what you're saying, you have a mask that hides the part that is hurting, tired, or frustrated. But meanwhile, being a commander in the Army is that, right? You're supposed to lead by example, not be a victim, and not teach other people how to be a victim either. I think all of you guys can agree with that. You know, um, and also, if any of you guys want to come on live and talk, you know, it's important that we talk about things right now, right this second, and get things going. You know, if you guys have any questions, I'd be happy to answer these questions for you, you know, because I have a lot of answers in which a lot of people do not, right? So let's continue to talk about this stuff here, okay? This person say, claiming that there's an invisible enemy at work within him, a mask, if you will. And that's not good, right? As an African-American, I wear this mask because it, at times, what I have to do to be included and accepted in my workplace is what I hope, okay, it is what I do in the hope of being treated like my fellow shipmates. So you're a commander, you already have people underneath you, but yet you're being mistreated still by your shipmates. I got news for you. Everybody is mistreated in the military. Everybody is mistreated in society. Everybody has had some type of prejudice, whether it be by the same person of the same skin color or different. You cannot automatically say it's because of systemic racism that you have been mistreated. And you don't go on and tell me what the examples are. What are the examples of you being mistreated exactly? Did someone call you a bad name? And that ruined your day? You being a commander in the Coast Guard allowed such weak, pathetic, you know, feeble-minded things to sway your mindset towards being a leader and being a victim? That's what, you, that's what you're falling back on? That's what you're relying on as your main premise of why you wear a mask of hurt and shame? But you're a commander in the Coast Guard? Sir, if anything, I commend you. I commend you on that ability to be a commander in the Coast Guard. And I know it's not an easy job. And thank you for your service. But guess what? We are not going to conform to your feelings of systemic racism. We cannot. I have spoken about this over and over and over again. And as long as people keep thinking or blaming somebody else for your inadequacies, your deficiencies and your flaws, then that's what it's going to continue to be. And that's not fair to the people that are underneath you. And I think you guys can all agree with that. You know, um, now, he goes on to say this. I feel that it is expected, if not required, for me to have a chance at achieving my professional goals and, and safely executing my missions in the Coast Guard. It is what I have to do to continue to provide for my family. This is one instance of so-called systemic racism 
but yet there are no examples provided. And meanwhile, you have other military commanders on here that are black or Spanish saying, what are you talking about, man? The military is great for black people and Spanish people. The military appreciates our service. So you, for every one outraged liberal that writes things like this, you got 10 more saying, no, you're wrong. Being a patriot is all colors. Being part of society is for everyone. Serving our, in our military is an honor. And we are privileged to be in the United States. And I think you guys can all understand that. Okay, so he goes on to say, what is my mask hiding? It hides the confident and proud African-American side of me from which I draw strength and motivation. However, this side of me needs support at times. Even this source of strength can be depleted. Currently, my mask hides a side of me that is struggling to process the recent killings of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. Okay, so here we go. Right away, right away, you're going to start ranting about Floyd and Breonna Taylor as if you knew them. As if you personally knew them, my friend. You're a commander in the Coast Guard, an African-American. I salute you for your service. But automatically, you're going to go into Breonna Taylor and George Floyd as the reason why you have a chip on your shoulder. Like, my friend, you realize that the military, the military will not conform to you. The military doesn't care if you are upset about George Floyd or Breonna Taylor. You need to serve and do your duty. And I understand that police shootings and police brutality is a real thing, but everyone is targeted. And if you haven't read the chart from Statista.com, which is a non-biased chart, which has several different pieces of information in there from several different polls and sites and statistical analysis from police stations and news outlets. And they show that at least 300% more white people have been killed every single year by police than black people. Then you haven't done your proper research. And again, you're playing the victimhood card. Okay. So then he goes on to say in the nation I love and serve in the year 2020, the mask hides the side of me that is hurting as if I had lost a family member. It hides a side of me angered by these injustices. It hides a side of me that is not okay at the moment. When the Coast Guard faced its lapse appropriation during the 2019 government shutdown, senior leaders communicated to commanding officers across the service how important intrusive leadership was in that moment. It was understood that the financial strain on our members might have an emotional impact that could not be overlooked. Supervisors, supervisors were directed to go the extra mile to make sure the members of their commands knew they were valued and that leaders understood the struggles, the struggle members were going through. Like, so in, intrusive leadership has been seen as necessary to address increases in suicide, depression, and domestic violence, which is which is more, honestly, it's more important that we address those issues than address the issue of systemic racism. Because look, guys, the amount of things that systemically happened in comparison to depression, suicide, and violence is nothing. And these things are never being addressed. Domestic violence is barely being addressed. Depression, barely being addressed unless you take a magic pill that makes you happy. And suicide. A lot of people during this pandemic in which zero, zero amounts of people in these activist movements have failed to say anything towards that. They have failed to be empathetic towards other people's situations, and they're only focusing on their own. It's very narcissistic. And I think that's part of this issue. It's a narcissistic movement and activist group that only focuses on the negative because it fits their narrative, people. And that's disgusting. You know, and, and you want to act like, well, because the, the military the military is impacted somehow with systemic racism as well, that you're impacted from doing your job. That you, as a commander of the Coast Guard, cannot do your job successfully. When meanwhile, you've served for a very long time. And people will follow you. But I, I don't know about you guys, but I wouldn't want to follow a victim, would you? Absolutely not. Okay, so then it says the emotional impact, the struggle for social justice and the disruption to normal life from the tragic events involving African-Americans are worthy of that same level 
of intrusive leadership. So automatically you're comparing domestic violence, suicide, and depression to social justice. I'm sorry to tell you this, my friend, but those are completely two different entities. You cannot link the two and act like one's more important than the other. Let's think about how many more people have died from suicide compared to white police shooting black or African-Americans. Let's think about that number for a second. Okay. And if you still think that police brutality is, a, is, is something that is rampant compared to suicide, depression, and let's face it, obesity, because the majority of America is overweight and obese, at least 60%, and another 70% is at our current divorce rate. So single motherhoods, welfare, the, the indoctrination of our youth, let's ignore all those other things and concentrate on social justice only. How the hell does that make sense in the long term for you as a person, as a commander in the United States Coast Guard? If you want to talk about intrusive leadership, if you want to talk about leading people, then lead them towards greatness and victory. Don't lead them towards being a victim and playing the oppressed narrative. That's not what you joined the military for. I'm pretty sure you probably like to be a soldier as a little boy. We all like to play soldier, you know, and, and you want to act like a victim now. You know, you, you can try to say that many of us are hurting inside, but guess what? It's what we do. It's how we motivate and inspire other people that's going to help us through the fire, through the flame. You cannot sit there and say, literally, that because everyone's a victim, everyone's a victim, therefore everyone gets a pass. And that everyone deserves everything all the time, 24-7. And that somehow, somehow, systemic racism is going to, you know, haunt you. Systemic racism is going to change the way you think and who you are as a person. And I, for one, am just, again, dismayed about the amount, about the amount of social justice that people rather play than actually talk about the current issue of suicide. What about the amount of veterans that commit suicide or that have a drug addiction or that actually have PTSD? Are we going to ignore those numbers? Because those numbers, I can assure you, are at least a thousand percent higher than the amount of people in general killed by police. But we're going to ignore all of that in the name of liberty and social justice and freedom, quote unquote. When your version of freedom your version of freedom would have everyone barking like a dog on their knees, apologizing for their skin color. Can you please tell me how that makes sense towards uniting everyone together? Because I don't believe that playing the victim in any way, shape or form is going to help you with that. You know, and as a, as a person, as a person of leadership myself, I will never, ever, ever tell anyone to play this victimhood card. I will never, ever, ever tell anyone that social justice is more important than social leadership. I will never, ever tell anyone that pretending that you're oppressed when you have a higher status in life, meaning you have a nicer house, you have two cars, you have a great family. What are you oppressed about now? I will never tell you that that is the way to go. Because that's not going to help you in your life. We have to be against the narrative, people. And if that involves, if that involves doing the right thing and working hard and being proud of that, then there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm pretty sure all of you guys, from a standpoint, if you are in a position of leadership or if you have a family or if you worked hard for everything, then you will know what I'm talking about. And you would do anything to keep that in comparison to being a victim 24-7. And you know, like, it's a blessing. Honestly, it's a blessing to serve in the military. I wish I would have gone myself. I'm too much of a coward. But at the same time, if you are in the military, and if you are in a position of leadership, then do what you got to do. Suck it up. Okay? Because there's a lot of people that would kill to be in your position. There's tons of people, even underneath you right now, 
that would love to be a commander in the military, that would love to be a sergeant in arms, that would love to be someone of leadership, but they need the proper guidance and telling them to be a victim is not going to help you. And I know you understand that from a military standpoint of following orders and doing what needs to get done. Okay, now the next thing I want to talk about is we're going we're gonna to dive a little bit into history real quick. Okay, and I know how some of the, the radical leftists don't want to do that because what, what, they've, what they would find out about their party is horrific. And this article goes to say, the last time Democrats embraced the demonic mass movement was in 1977 and prior, obviously. Um, now I'm going to read this, this little excerpt to you. Okay. We've watched the rise of Antifa and black lives matter. We've been shocked at their openly Marxist politics and their close ties with democratic politicians. America has seen such partnerships before, especially in the alliance of progressive California Democrats and Reverend Jim Jones. And I, I, if I remember correctly, some of you guys had questions about this. So I'm just going to reiterate a couple things about this. Reverend Jim Jones was an activist. Okay. And he was very close with the Black Panthers at the time. He had a church and he called it his people's temple, quote unquote. Starting out as a thriving left-wing Christian church. So just like Al Sharpton, just like Louis Farrakhan, they were all about church and, you know, spreading love at first, getting people in. Sooner or later, they changed it over into a political group. And that's what this gentleman did. The, um, and this is kind of what, why you have what you have today in San Francisco and California, because this is where it kind of started. This is like the heart of communism, liberalism, and Marxism. And, um, the article goes on to say that the mayor at the time, San Francisco mayor, George Moscone, appointed Jim Jones, you know, because they just loved each other so much, to the city's housing commission. Jones soon became chairman. In other words, the mayor of one of America's greatest cities essentially made Jones the largest landlord in the city just two years later. Two years later. So without even knowing the man, you know, oh, here, here, here you go. You're, you're great. You have a church. This is wonderful. And um, there's actually a movie and a book based upon this. It's called Cult City. I recommend you guys check it out. But at that time, during this, obviously the 70s, there was politicized smear campaigns against, you know, patriots and the liberals, you know, and the hippiest movement. That was all still going on. And. During his people, his people's temple speeches, he urged and he talked to the, the public at the time to create a radically new utopian society. And he wanted to do, you know, get people on welfare, get rid of the police, saying everyone's racist. He did the same thing that Black Lives Matter did and what happened in Seattle with Chaz. It's the same exact thing, you know, and and. The utopian community magically formed in San Francisco, and you wonder why you get what you get, is because of what happened with the Antichrist movements, post-Christianity and the Antichrist. Which elements, guys, in Christianity do post-Christian radicals like Jones and Black Lives Matter exploits? Let's, let's, let's name a couple pastors. We already know Al Sharpton. And obviously we have Jim Jones from the 70s, who to this day has his people's temple spewing hatred left and right towards the masses in his churches. We have Louis Farrakhan, right? Who else do we have? I'm sure you guys know, know a couple of names, right? Louis Farrakhan, Al Sharpton, you know, Jim Jones, all these, all these pastors that are supposed to speak about the truth, all these deacons that are supposed to come out and rule for social justice are all involved in similar type of methodology and messaging and demonic, demonic types of thinking. It's a good way to dupe people, folks. It's a really good way. You know, and um, Jim Jones later on, so once he became, you know, part of the housing community, which ended up 
um, being on welfare and, you know, living off of food stamps. And, and re remember, the majority of people in San Francisco at the time were mixed, mostly black and, and Spanish. But in these housing communities, that's what he did. He put people on welfare into a utopian society where the government would take care of them. And at the same time, these same people, they were so grateful that they would attend his masses and praise him for the work that he did, the charity work that he did. You know, and then eventually he had this Marxist rhetoric in his churches. He used religion to turn parishioners into socialists. Like I said, he flim flammed them. Here, you come to my church, I'll give you free housing. I'll give you free health care. I'll give her free welfare, whatever you want. Jones did this primarily through the lore of faith healing and other faked miracles. So if you go to his church, he'll heal you of all your wounds, of all the white man's racism and supremacism. He'll, if you, But only if you come to his church. You know, if you ask me, guys, he saw religion as means rather than the end. Jones, he used the opiate of masses to bring the people into the pews of Marxism. Okay, now, before dropping any pretense to Christianity, Jones depicted People's Temple's theology as apostolic, apostolic socialism. He highlighted seeming contradictions to his followers in a booklet called The Letter Killeth. He essentially taught his flock to follow the quote-unquote spirit instead of Christ, instead of the word of God. Jones later explained to them, your conscience socialism is God. God is socialism, and I am principal socialism, socialism, and that's what makes me God. So automatically, he fooled people. He duped people into thinking that socialism meant you were a good religious person, and that you were a person that gave charity, that gave back. Um, I had been actually in a very similar instance during my high school days with a certain social justice teacher who tried to make everyone feel guilty for their privilege simply for being at a private school. So let me get this straight. You're going to try to make me feel guilty. And look, did I go out to Chicago and do charity work? Yes. Did it feel good? Yes. But I shouldn't have to go out there because someone decides to call me white privileged or guilty simply for the hell of it. And I shouldn't, I went out there of my own volition and say, Hey, look, this is great. I'm not going because of my white privilege. I'm going because I like to give back. I also, by the way, for some of you watching, I helped rebuild several centers in Patterson, rec centers I painted, helped refurbish you know, furniture, and did high school tutoring on the side for people that couldn't afford to go to you know, such prestigious schools as myself. And that's called giving back, not being, I'm not guilty of anything. If anything, I want society to get better. And how we do it is by doing it together, not out of guilt, but by out of charity. And I want you guys to remember that. So anyway, Sorry for digressing, but okay. Now, what happened later on is once Jones had such a fantastic following, quote unquote, and he had people, you know, foaming at the mouth for socialism through his church. Again, remember, he was in charge of the housing commission, right? He had people left and right say, oh, give me, give me, give me, give me free housing, give me free food, give me welfare. Yeah, people begging as if he were the God, as if he were Jesus Christ himself and saying, okay, you gave me all this stuff and I'll attend your church and you're God. And, you know, so you already indoctrinated millions of people to follow him, you know? So on top of that, later on, Jim Jones helped elect a mayor of San Francisco, George Moscone. So he also helped the mayor get involved and the mayor made him again, the, member, the lead member of the housing communities there. And then this is what happened. They called it Jonestown. And I think you guys remember there was a book on that and I think a movie called Jonestown, but that's what happened. You let blue state officials kind of run the narrative, run the churches, all in the name of socialism. And this is what, this is what the byproduct of this. That's just another way that indoctrinization has occurred earlier in the 1970s and the same type of reasoning is happening right now at our schools. You guys got to really think about these things. Okay. Now, and I'm, this is my next point, why it won't stop with statues, why ripping down things, why ripping down things doesn't stop 
with just statues. You know, recently, guys, I had watched a mob in Baltimore, you know, a couple weekends ago, actually, because, you know, time flies, right? Of Baltimore, a mob in Baltimore tearing down a statue of Christopher Columbus. Now, guys, I'm Italian. Do you think for a second that that, that crap would fly with me? No. Do you think that if you saw a bunch of Italians ripping down, say, a statue of Malcolm X or President Obama, you wouldn't like that either? Wrong or right? So right off the cuff, okay, I am appalled about what I saw. And I'm pretty sure you guys might have seen that same video. And, you know, the thing is this. We're talking about, you know, and I got into a several conversations and arguments about the statue, pulling down statues. Should we put, a, you know, take them all down, leave them all up? I mean, but it, guys, in essence, they're statues. But they also represent symbolism, courage, dedication, sacrifice, honor. And you're going to take all that down. You're going to you're going to deface World War II monuments because it makes you feel better at the end of the day. When even African-Americans were on that wall and it got desecrated, you pulled down abolitionist statues, too. Very cowardice of you, Black Lives Matter. By the way. But look, guys, look, will it stop with statues? No. I mean, you see all these mobs cheering and screaming as all these statues come crashing down every single time. I mean, I've seen people leaping in the air and shaking with crazy exuberance, with excitement, as if they won the lotto or something. And you guys are going to sit there. You're going to sit there. You know, and I watched this video couple times and I forwarded it, rewinded it. You know, they rushed to the they rushed to the fallen piece of plaster and they grabbed parts of it and they ran away with them. Seriously. They ran away with pieces of the statue. And one man took took the head of the statue and put it up in the air and brandished it like it's a trophy. Like guys, what are we what what are we watching? If you ask me, it looks like a bunch of savages just doing whatever they want. It really is a terrible thing, right? Now, I'm going to tell you guys something about this in terms of addiction to rage, okay? History teaches us that the, the destruction of images, the, it's called the echinoclasm, is often followed by genocide. In England, in the 16th century, they began by stripping the Catholic churches of statues. They ended by hunting down Catholics, throwing them into jail, and finally executing them in the public square. In the 18th century, during the French Revolution, they began by destroying the images of the monarchy and the Catholic religion and ended by worshipping Madame Guillotine. First statues fell, then heads rolled. In the 1930s in Germany, they started by burning synagogues and ended by burning Jews in Iraq. ISIS blew up statues. Then they started cutting off heads. Does all this sound familiar to you? The cancel culture that's currently going on? Let's cancel everything. Let's not be tolerant anymore. Let's blame the president. Let's blame white people. You know, guys, what, what is the bloodthirsty madness that sweeps through the human race and erupts in senseless violence? Its roots the echinoclasm, if you will, its roots are in resentment and rage and jealousy. The German philosopher Max Scheller described iconoclasm as the book of resentment. And all these pages outline, outline what resentment is in his book. And um, first, it should be understood that often resentment is rooted in, in a real injustice, okay? It, it, there's genuine causes and cases for resentment to take root, but if the resentment switch does not switch off, does not switch to forgiveness and reconciliation, it graduates instead into a lust for revenge. The one harboring resentment soon finds others who share their suppressed fury and they form mobs and they seek a victim to get revenge. So it's an addiction to rage, if you ask me. And a lot of these people already drugged up, coked out out of their minds. And this is what they want at the end of the day. 
and it's disgusting. And I'm pretty sure you guys can agree with me on this, you know, and it's a big, big problem. You know, and this is why it won't stop. It's just statues. It's going to stop with everything. I mean, look how many people wanted to boycott Goya or get rid of Goya completely because the president supports the president of the United States. God forbid you do that. You know, and look, there's two different reasons why you want to boycott something. One is because something is evil. Like if you look at Nike back in the day, we're boycotting Marxism and socialism. That's a different story. That doesn't belong here in America. Right. And also you're boycotting because they have child slave camps. And I heard recently they had to deform them all. But in Vietnam, they had slave camps in China. They had slave camps in Africa. Yes. In Africa, ladies and gentlemen, they had slave camps in all these different countries. They had slave camps. But yet everyone's wanting to buy the next new Nike shoe. For God knows how much money. And that's OK. Where they want to go rob a store for Nikes, not realizing that a child has made their shoes. And it wasn't made here for the most part. It was made over there, right? The whole entire thing was assembled, put together by a 10-year-old. And no one wants to seek justice for that 10-year-old. That 10-year-old's life didn't matter. You know, so you got to understand the dynamic of mob violence, Mob murder is always public, too, by the way. It's never private because if it's private, no one knows about it. So mob murder is always public. Members of the mob need to see the justice, quote unquote, being done. Secondly, the violence must be per perpetrated by the mob, not by an individual. It has to be the whole entire group doing everything at once for the unity of the mob. But not one person is guilty of the violence. It's, they're all they're all guilty. They're all exonerated. They all have a right to do whatever they want to do. There will be blood. Almost always bloodshed is involved in every murder, every blood sacrifice by, you know, and here's the thing that's really creepy. OK, we're talking about people want to see justice. They want to see blood. They want to see revenge. I don't think you guys realize this, but blood sacrifices are a demonic ritual. And demonic rituals have been caught. Literally. Every single time the Democrat left wants to come out and say something or do something, they've been caught in the act, right? If you look at the behavior of these people, the rage, the hate, that's what the devil wants. It was almost like the devil himself or herself, whatever the heck the devil is, wanted to see this and was controlling it behind the scenes of an angry mob that has completely lost control of themselves. So I implore all of you to wake up. To understand that this is a dynamic in which the human sacrifice, the religious persecution, the witch hunt, the lynchings of black and mob violence of all kinds in every place at certain times were found throughout history. And that it's here, once again, the worm comes out of the hole and pops its ugly face out and shows us what we still need to worry about, why we need to be relentlessly patriotic. You know, and, and the problem is this. Once the mob, once their violence or their task is completed, they don't just disappear. They, they are planning again, much like Antifa, much like BLM. They are planning their next movement. They're, they're, they're really, really looking, seeking, you know, excitingly, you know, towards the next situation for police brutality or some type of injustice patriarchal thing that they want to conjure up from thin air to go out and loot, riot, burn, murder, whatever you want, looking for the excuse to do it all over again because it makes them feel powerful, right? It makes them feel high. That's an artificial stimulant, guys. The effect wears off, don't you see? And when it go and when it does, as you guys know. Like, like if you are addicted to something, you want to go back for more, right? If you love pizza, I want more pizza, right? If you love soda, oh, I want more soda. I'm addicted to soda. If, I'm, if I love caffeine, I want more caffeine. So like an addiction, you want more. You want to see more bloodlust and rage. It's very, very, very tribalistic in nature. It's very primitive in nature. This does not show the self-control and restraint that we, the people, have. 
especially when it comes to firearms and knowing when to use it and not use it. We're not about violence. But look, if you tread on us, there will be violence. And you cannot act like we're the problem when you started to begin with. It's called self-protection, self-defense. And we will defend ourselves against Marxism and communism when it comes. I can promise you guys that. So let's get off this tip about being a victim and get on the tip of being a victor. And what is it that any of these people want? Can you guys tell me? Revenge or reconciliation? You know, like, guys, resentment is understandable. But the way of revenge always ends in a bitter cycle. Okay? It's, it's a bitter cycle of irrational rage and destructive violence. Look, and I want you to remember this. There's an old saying. If it is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, soon the whole world will be blind and toothless. So we can't always fire back, fire back with more fire. Okay? But in this case, I'm sure you guys can see how much evil there is out there and what we the people must do to prevent such nonsense from happening. It is up to us. And as a relentless patriot, I always, always recommend that you follow your heart and that you stand by the principles that makes you a patriot. Stand up to people when they say white supremacy and white systemic racism and try to blame the white man for their little ache. Well, stand up to people like that. Let them know that it does not exist simply because they want it to. Let them know that you're, that you're willing to help see the light together. Let them know that patriotism can defeat such evils. Let them know that you stand with them for the injustice that has occurred, but at the same time to move forward together, right? Because let's face it, bad things happen every single day in this country and around the world, but it doesn't mean the world and mother nature is going to stop moving for any of us. We have to remember this at this time. We have a choice, and that choice, ladies and gentlemen, is to promote victory, the victory of being a patriot, the victory of the Constitution and the amendments, the victory of standing together like Martin Luther King once had us do, and envision for a second that we can do it again. So until the next time, everyone... Um, Let's just be aware and be prepared because tyranny has come and it will show its ugly face again. I wish you all well at this time. Take care and I can't wait to see you guys again.